Isaiah chapter 1, where it says in verse 2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear. O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have <laughs> rebelled against me. He says in verse 3, The ox knoweth his owner, the ass his master's crib. Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. In verse 4, a sinful nation. Sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, seed of evil lures, children that are corruptors. They forsaken the Lord, provoked the Holy One of Israel, and gone backwards. Instead of going forward, they went backwards. Well, that was God's um, assessment of His children. And so in verse 5, it says, Why will you revolt more and more? Ain't no sense spanking you anymore. He says, You won't learn. So God says, I'm just going to have to take you out of the land. See, He was chasing them in the land. So next thing he says, I'm going to just take you out of the land. Look at verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He says, you can correct the problem and everything will be all right. But they never would. God was looking for a man. God looking for a man. Look there in Isaiah chapter 6. God has always been looking for a man. A man that would love God with all his heart would do what God says do. A man that had a vision. A man that had a burning fire in his bones. So it says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, he says, I saw so the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, and each one had six wings. With twain or two it covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, two he, uh, he did fly. And he cried unto another and said, Holy, 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 is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then he says in verse 5, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. For I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eye hath seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now it says that God is going to have... One of the seraphims take the tongs and pick up the hot coal off the altar and going to take it and put it on his tongue. And I believe this was to purify that unclean tongue that he said he has. Because he says, I dwell in the midst of unclean lips and I am a man of unclean lips. So all of our sins that flows from us is because there's something evil on the inside. It's not the outside. It's amazing how that as we go through life, we have a tendency to always blame somebody else why we do what we do. Every man is responsible for his own actions, for whatever he does. So try to accept responsibility for your actions because if God's going to judge you for them, word and deed, then evidently God holds you responsible. When he made the statement in verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then said I, Here am I, send me. The Lord has always been looking for people that he can use to send to a wicked, perverse people. People in the world that... Don't love God, don't know God. Many don't want to know God. They love their sin. They want to do what they want to do. They don't want to be rebuked. They don't want nobody to tell them what they can and cannot do. And that's the world that God sent us to. And he says, be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. We have been given a tremendous message. 
but he says for us to go. And he says, whenever you go, in verse 9, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat. He says, and make their ears heavy. They're shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long, how long, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitants and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. In other words, the time is coming when God's going to destroy. One day he'll destroy the whole earth and every man in it that's not righteous. And God is going to set up a new heavens and a new earth, new kingdom altogether. But until then, we still speak, we still preach, we still warn. But God is looking for a few people that can rise above the rest of the people. Take your Bible and turn over there to the book of Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20. He is known as the weeping prophet. The weeping prophet. Because so many things went wrong in this man's life. I mean, the people really hated him. The whole nation hated him. And yet he had a job to do. They threw him in a pit. They were going to kill him. And you talk about being in a deep, miry pit. Yeah, that's where old Jeremiah was placed. To rebuild Israel the way God wanted, God's going to have to destroy the nation as it is. If God wants to rebuild you, he's got to destroy what's there. He said he's got to pull down and pluck up and replant and rebuild. Anytime the clay is not the way God wants it to, God has to take that clay and break it apart, put some water in it, and reshape it and mold it all over again. This is what God does for us. But what I want you to see is there in verse 7 of chapter 20, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7. He says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me. Hasn't many people, whenever they dedicate their lives to the Lord, think that it's supposed to get better? <laughs> I mean, it's supposed to be wonderful. I dedicated my life to the Lord. Therefore, everything's going to work out rosy. <laughs> well, doggy, it didn't work that way for Jeremiah. Everything went wrong. The people turned on him. They hated him. They lied about him. They said all kinds of things about poor old Jeremiah. He said in verse 7, O Lord, thou hast deceived me. And I was deceived. You did it. Thou art stronger than I, but you gave me a job to do that's greater than I can do, greater than I can perform. And everybody laughs at me, makes fun of me. They mock me. They put me down, said things against me. You know what he said I'm going to do? He said, I quit. I quit. In the last part of verse 7, I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me, and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. I quit. I'm not going to do it no more. Well, everybody needs to understand, the greatest man of God has moments of um, despair. Expectations that are not met. Things that don't happen the way you think they are or supposed to. And think, I, I quit. I'll get even with everybody. I'll make you pay. I quit. Don't that really get everybody? That makes everybody feel good about it, don't it? But notice the last part of this verse. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire. 
burning fire shut up in my bones. I remember when Dr. Curtis Hudson passed away, I wrote a little poem called Flame in the Wind. You're a flame in the wind. And the wind of the Holy Spirit is flaming a wind in order to set little brush fires all across the world. And God is wanting to use you that's on fire to fire somebody else and to fire somebody else. An unlit candle cannot light another candle. An unlit candle can't light another candle. You can't challenge and motivate somebody else if you're not challenged and motivated. You have to be lit and on fire to set a fire. You have to have a fire to set a fire. And he says, your word was in my bones. It's a burning fire. And I was weary with keeping my mouth shut, with forbearing, holding back. And I could not stay. I could not stay like that. I had to do something. So in spite of everything, he says, I decided I'm going to do it. Look at verse 12. But, O Lord of hosts, that trieth the righteous and seeth the reins in the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them. For unto thee have I opened my cause. In other words, he had to get to where I'm just going to have to trust the Lord to take care of everything else. I'll just do what God wants me to do. It's a tremendous story, but God is always, always looking for a man. But the man has got to be able to take the heat of whatever is coming in life. Remember, you've got to fight the devil because he's trying to stop you. You've got an old sinful nature. You've got to whip that. You've got people that will say things. You've got to whip that. And sometimes the closest people to you may not always back it. They've got to whoop that. You've just got to stay faithful, doing what God wants you to do. Take your Bible and turn over there to the book of Samuel. Over there to the book of Samuel, 2 Samuel, and chapter 11. Now, everyone knows the story. It's a beautiful story of David, how that he whooped Goliath, and God used him in a great and mighty way, and he became the king of Israel, and wrote so many beautiful psalms, a man that was, the Bible says, a man after God's own heart. So he was a, a man on fire. You read the psalms, they are wonderful. They console so many people who have broken hearts. And God used them in a great way. But here, and I want you to catch this, because we've covered some of these things before, but I want you to see something even a person who wants to serve the Lord, if he doesn't correct one little thing in his life, it leads to a greater sin that leads to a greater sin that leads to a greater. David had no idea it was going to go that far. It was going to be that bad. But yet he had a, a heart for the Lord. He wanted to serve God. And God used him and raised him up. But you'll find out whether it was Daniel when he was young. Joseph, when he was young. David, yes, when he was young. Even Samuel, when he was young. There's so many that God used while they were young, and the three Hebrew children. But understanding that as time goes on, it's a difficult thing to maintain your walk with God, to maintain it. You can always start on the right road. Now, can you stay there? Can you stay there? Can you fight the battle? Fight the fight. But look very quickly there in chapter 11 and verse 1. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Reba. But David 
tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass at eventide that David arose from off his bed, walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Well, even the Bible says that she was beautiful to look upon. And it says, And David sent and inquired after the woman. One said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her. For you that don't know what that means, they had sex together. They had sexual intercourse. He committed adultery. That's what happened. In verse 5, And the woman conceived, and sent and told David, and says, I am with child. Well, where was her husband? Well, her husband was in a war. He was in battle. And then he makes this statement in verse 6, And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. What's going on? Well, if he'd have been there, he would have known. But um, he wasn't there. You see up there in verse 1, it says, At the time when kings go forth to battle, well, this king decided not to. Whenever he didn't do what he should have done, he would have been where he should have been, and he wouldn't have done what he did. Wasn't that clear? One little sin that led to another sin, and when you try to cover up that sin, you have to commit a bigger sin and another sin, and it seems like there's no end to it. It becomes a trap, a snare. And how can you get out of it? And so he says here in verse 7, So he had asked him all these questions. David said in verse 8 to Uriah, Go down to thy house, wash thy feet. Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king... But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. Now what, what was David up to? Well, David was trying to get Bathsheba's husband back from the war so that he would go home and spend the night with his wife and when she has the baby, he'll think it's his. What's he trying to do? Cover his own sin. He's trying to cover what he did wrong. But of course, nobody knows what's happened. And verse 10, And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest not thou from thy journey? Why then didst not thou go down unto thy house? Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into my house to eat and to drink? to lie with my wife, as thou liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the next. When David had called him, he did eat and drink before him. And David, the man after God's own heart, got Uriah drunk. Why would he get him drunk? So that he couldn't think. So he couldn't reason. So he would go down to his house to see his wife. Why would David commit this sin? Still trying to cover his sin. You get into a trap, and it's like, how can I get out of this trap? When you do that which is wrong, confess it to God and correct it and go on. But if you don't correct it, then you're going to have to commit another sin to correct this one. And then you just commit another one, and then another one. And then it just gets worse and worse and worse as time goes on. Some people live and learn, and some people live and never learn. 
So in the middle part of verse 13, And at evening he went down out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord. But he went not down to his house. He still wouldn't do it. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab, sent it by hand of Uriah. Now here's Uriah, got a letter in his hand. What did this letter say? This letter to Joab, who is his commander in the battle, is supposed to take Uriah, that got the letter, and put him in the foremost of the battle, in the heat of the battle, for one purpose. Why? So he'd get killed. So now David is premeditation, planning on how to have this man murdered. Oh, no, he didn't take the sword and he didn't jab him. He didn't take a six-gun and shoot him. He, he didn't kill him, but he did kill him. And God hold him responsible for what he did. Now, get this. So he says here in verse 15, And he wrote in the letter, saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. In other words, get it right up there in the hot of the battle, and then y'all retreat so he's out there by himself. Now, isn't that a wicked thing to do? Now, you think David, a man after God's own heart, would have schemed all of this? And yet, in his own mind, he probably never thought about how bad or wicked it was. He was just trying to cover something. After all, sometimes people get to the place where, you know, I can do whatever I want to do. It really doesn't matter. Like, they're above the law. They're above, you know, scrutiny. Don't question me. Don't ask me. I can do whatever I want. I'm special. I got an exemption. No, when a man gets that away, he's in trouble. Walking with the Lord is a step at a time. Well, walking with the devil is a step at a time. And you're the one that makes the choices. But you don't sometimes know, even if you follow the Lord, you know where it's going to go, but you know it's a path of righteousness. You start talking and walking away from the Lord, it's a path, but it's a path of destruction. It starts destroying until God takes the two before and knocks you over the head until it rings like a Chinese gong. He says in verse 16, And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah into a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the city, men of the city, went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David. And Uriah the Hittite died also. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Remember, when something begins to go wrong in your life, check and see, is there a reason that maybe I'm not right with the Lord and God is doing this because of something I need to correct? And if you will correct it quickly, then God will bless and everything will be all right. But if you don't, sooner or later, it's going to come down the road and God's going to have to really deal with you. Now get this. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. The Lord sent Nathan unto David. He came unto him and he said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought up and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat, and drink of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock, and of his own herd, to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him. But took the poor man's lamb, 
And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. In other words, here's a man that killed a lamb, and David says he ought to die. What had he done? He killed a man. If a man should die for killing a lamb, what should happen to him? And verse 6, And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Isn't it amazing that the person who at many times is guilty can see it in somebody else and they can't see it in themselves. This is why in the book of Matthew in chapter 7 talks about before you can remove that little splinter in somebody else's eyes, get the two before out of your, out of your own eye because you can't see it. You can see the sin in other people's lives, but you have a difficult time seeing that thou doest the same thing. Thou art guilty. You're guilty in doing the very same thing, but you can see it in somebody else's life. And you can judge it so quickly. But thou art the man. And he makes this statement in verse 7. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. God says, I did this. I, I chose you to be the king. And verse 8. And I gave thee thy master's house, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if, if, if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. In other words, there's a lot of things you could have had if you'd have just asked me. In other words, like God said, you have no idea what I wanted to do for you. I would have done for you if you'd have just let me know. You'd talk to me. That's why I've said before, God may know what you have need of, but he doesn't give it to you unless you ask. That's what he's talking about in the book of James. He says, you have not because you, you ask not. You didn't ask. But if he said, if you just asked me, he said, what I would have done for you, what I would have given you. And many of God's people go through life missing out on an awful lot of blessings that they could have had. In verse 9, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? See, the only reason he did what was wrong is because there's something about God he despised. In the New Testament, maybe this strong, but it says this, you've left your first love. When you lose your love for the Lord, your judgment goes. Your discernment's gone. I'm sorry. That's the book. You can't think straight. The Bible says and warns in His Word, He says, abstain, stay away from an angry man. Stay away from an angry person. Because they're exposed. You never know what they're going to do next. That's because they no longer love God. They don't love the Word. When you get away from the things of God, you can't think, you can't reason, you can't see, you cannot discern. And that's why Isaiah was told, he says, I'm going to have you preach to people that no longer will see, they're no longer hear. They're dull of hearing. But I want you to do it because everything you say to them, I'm going to use against them. The day will come where we'll be witnesses. Yes, I preached that and I said that and I warned. And this is what you heard. And you rebelled. You didn't want to hear it. You wouldn't correct. And David thought he solved his problem his way. And even while we read these scriptures, you let what these scriptures say burn into your mind because they are warning signs. They're to help us to be godly individuals. And you cannot fool God. He says in verse 10, now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, 
Because thou hast despised who? You despise God. The anger, the bitterness, the sins of life, all these things, the adultery, the murder, all that, is because you hate God. Now you would never think that David, who loved God with all his heart, well, he stopped loving God with all his heart. And now God is going to deal with this individual. And he says, the sword shall never depart from your house. In other words, from this day forward, it never left his house. It cost David, it cost that little child that was born, and it cost him fourfold in his family that he reached, reaped down the road. He says in verse 11, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. God said, I'll do it. I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. See, you can make the choice about what you want to do. But it's God that can choose the consequences of your deed. So you can't live as you please and get away with it. You can't rebel against God and get away with it. And yet you may not know that it came from God, but God says, I said it. I said it. Well, it's just something that happened. It was just an accident. Something no, no, no. Something else is going on. And look what he says in verse 12. For thou didst it secretly... But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. He didn't want nobody to know it. It's been written down in the holy book. And how many of you know about David and what he did? Just about everybody in the world has heard this story. David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. How be it? Because, because. And this is the part that really hurt me when I read this. And it should hurt you that the things that we say and do that are wrong is a bad testimony toward our God. It gives the enemy a chance to say something even against the gospel of grace. How many times I've heard people say, you teach this gospel by grace and it's and you don't have to stop anything or join anything. You don't have to change your life. You don't have to stop your sin. All that. And then look at some of those Christians and how they live. If that's Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. And those who know the gospel of grace, love the gospel of grace, are the biggest hindrances to the gospel of grace. Their own disobedience slams the gospel. Instead of that being the most powerful thing in a person's life that can cause them to rise up and be what God wants them to be, they use it as a cloak of covetousness so they can become a stumbling block to the world. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. By our life we bring Honor to God, glory to God, praise to God, or we bring shame and dishonor to God.